1: Oh man, we got a lot to get to today. Got to talk about Zion's injury, all these extensions, new developments that could potentially impact the salary cap uh, on the China front as well. So let's bring in the long lost Danny LaRue. How you doing, man?
2: I'm good. Uh, welcome to the multiple podcast company with your, your the one that was released with John Hollinger. I really enjoyed it. Listen to it this morning.
1: Oh, nice. Yeah. Thanks for saying that. We, uh, had, I think a pretty good launch. We're number 10 on iTunes right now thanks to everyone who listened and reviewed that and if you haven't yet please subscribe uh it's been no shortage of promotion on my social media or just search Hollinger and Duncan in your podcast player of choice but fear not loyal dunkdown listeners dunkdown will continued with its regularly scheduled programming and so Let's talk about this sign injury first. Really just a total bummer.
2: Yeah, it really is. And there were some pretty clear warning signs when the original kind of stuff came out of oh he's gonna miss a few weeks with an undisclosed knee injury. There was also this weird thing that like an LSU forum had. Somebody said that he had a men- that he had a meniscus issue and then and so that ended up being what happened. So he will Zion Williamson had he had the meniscus trim, which means that he will be at the projection is six to eight weeks. Per John Hollinger, his, he said seven weeks is missing 24 games. Eight weeks is right around Christmas. And it's a huge bummer, not only for all of us who were so excited to see him. Remember, he was only in summer league for a very brief period of time before, before missing the rest of that. And. It also means that the Pelicans are going to be fundamentally different, though they will in some ways be very interesting in his stead.
1: Yeah, on him first, before we talk about what it means to the team, this is that same knee that he injured in the shoe incident, uh, suffering a sprained knee. Don't know if there was any damage at that point. I believe it was the opposite knee that he bruised. That sounded like just a banged knees type of thing in summer league, but certainly for a player who... Has a body type unlike anything we've really ever seen before at 6'6", 285. Knee issues are not good. And recall that he also had injury problems going back to his senior year. Part of the reason he wasn't the consensus number one overall pick after his senior year was the fact that, that he had these issues that really derailed his last high school season. There's all the concern. I mean, Baxter Holmes had that article of just how much guys play in AAU. And it seems like a lot of these guys are, are big injury risks. And certainly Zion falls into that category with his unique body type, perhaps more than most. So we're going to do predictions at some point in the next couple of days here. How much do you think it hurts them if he, and I would be shocked if he comes back in less than eight weeks, it's always eight weeks for these when they come back in less time it's usually not great. And of course they're going to really try and slow play it. But how many games do you think this costs him in the standing if he misses 30 games?
2: My first thought was not nearly as many because the general, the general thrust is that even good rookies aren't usually a huge positive. The one part that makes me think it'll be more like a couple games is that the Pelicans happen to be shallow at kind of that exact spot, especially with Darius Miller missing so much time, you know, so they're not going to, they don't have as many replacements, and they're largely going to be sliding smaller guys in, so that's going to hurt their defense, which we had talked about as being a potential strength, but more potentially J.J. Redick, maybe more Nikhil Alexander-Walker, one of our favorites, could, could be a positive for them, could increase their spacing, which was a big potential red flag for this Pelicans team. I think Gentry can use smaller lineups well. So I, I don't actually, I think this will impact their watchability, significantly more than it will impact their wins and losses for the 2019-20 season
1: yeah I, obviously if Zion continue to shoot 70% from the field he was going to be a big asset offensively we've expressed many times our concerns about the spacing and the fit with Lonzo Ball. He shot a little better in preseason but still is unproven there Ingram Zion those three guys in the starting lineup talented but not necessarily a great fit together I think Brandon Ingram moving to the four I like him more at that position. But as you mentioned, they don't really have anyone else who is sides on this team, and you're kind of back to the old ways. Now they have capable players like Hart, assuming that he's healthy, Etuan Moore, Nikhil Alexander-Walker. It seemed like two of those three guys were probably going to be out of the rotation to start with. I think Nikhil in particular... Might get more time now because other than Drew and Brandon Ingram, they don't really have much in the way of off the dribble threats. He might be the third best off the dribble threat on the team already. J.J. Redick can only play so many minutes that they're not going to really increase his minutes. He's probably going to play 25 to 30 minutes regardless but I think real, and I'm not sure whether they'll get better defensively you mentioned the size the rebounding is obviously going to take a hit the offensive rebounding will take a huge hit Zion I thought really looked pretty lost defensively so is getting him out of there at an important defensive position putting Ingram in there but also getting smaller does that hurt you I think it's probably going to end up being a wash you're also going to see more Jalil Okafor which is not good for your defense necessarily they're probably going to play with the traditional center on the floor as well so i do think that this might cost him a game or two over the those 30 games and the good news for ingram though is he now is going to be the number two threat on this team and they are going to have more spacing in the starting lineup for him to work he's not going to be overshadowed by Zion he could at least put up some huge counting stats for this team if he can stay healthy doesn't look like as of this discussion that they're going to get to an extension with him nor really should they given the uncertainties there but I think this will help Ingram establish some value here over the first 30 games of the season or so
2: not to get ahead of it but are you saying uncertainty actually stopped one extension negotiation (laughs) because it didn't stop any of the other ones
1: yeah i think well you know what maybe this china thing had a lot more to do with some of these getting done ultimately maybe that that if the cap went down by 15 percent next year which it probably wanted probably going to take a couple of years for it to get baked in but if everyone knew that we're coming the year afterwards that and 2021 is already a big free agent class that could have really chilled the market in 2020 we saw before the last lockout that players that really wanted to get their money as well so i think that might be part of it I'll, that's just a theory I, I think i'm gonna have to have some conversations to see whether that ended up getting some of these done especially when you consider the tone of the sabonis and healed negotiations for example that maybe that made some of the the players budge a little bit not that i think necessarily many of those are particularly team friendly so anyway uh, anything else on zion or do you want to talk uh pick your poison here on the extensions
2: Well, the only thing, other thing I want to say on Zion is just because it's the first time I get to say it this, this season, remember the other cascading effect of injuries is that it makes any subsequent injury even more important. That now the Pelicans just have fewer options. So if Brandon Ingram has to miss five games or who are basically now any player one through four, it has all of these other effects and the Pelicans are deep, but they are not so deep that they can handle all of this kind of stuff. So even like a tweaked ankle makes a bigger deal or something like that. And, and that's really the way injuries happen and accumulate over a season. It's the combination of them that becomes truly damaging and sometimes catastrophic for a franchise.
1: Yeah, and we can also add too that for the player, this wasn't the repair or you so, for some of these. I think it's more often the medial meniscus that you can get a repair rather than the lateral lateral meniscus. This is a lateral meniscus injury. But when you get the trim, you're taking out part of the meniscus. And that can lead, of course, to more problems later. They do the repair, which still has like a 20% failure rate even after you do the repair. And we've seen guys like Derek Rose and Russell Westbrook have subsequent surgeries after the repair is over. Uh, But if he'd done the repair, he would have been out for the year. Uh, that's like, you know, a six month recovery timetable. So we are going to see him again. I think they're going to be extremely cautious. We're going to see a ton of load management with him down the end of the year. And also, he's a guy who doesn't really trend towards staying skinny when he's inactive. And so I also think it could take him a while to get back into shape and obviously weighing more that could potentially compound the injury. So, I mean, this isn't a death knell for him. I mean, maybe a decent analog is Blake Griffin. If you remember now, Blake Griffin missed his entire rookie season, similar type of game uh, after an injury in preseason. At just uh he came back, had an unbelievable rookie of the year season, but then has kind of gotten derailed by injuries at later points in his career and has had to totally reinvent his game in a way that i think zion w- would be hard-pressed to do we said that about griffin too with his shooting but i think zion is is in the same boat so yeah uh, all kind of depressing uh we'll be doing the nba casts for not that game now on uh on tuesday lakers clippers instead you can uh join us for that uh, we'll be tweeting out the link you can subscribe uh on youtube or periscope or twitch to watch the game with us and our, our live play-by-play so yeah now that we're done on zion let's uh let's hit these extensions which one did you find most interesting
2: Pascal Siakam. And the reason why it ties in, we talked about Kyle Lowry's extension a little bit ago, because they had a material sacrifice in terms of opportunity cost. The Raptors could have, theoretically, been a cap space team. Instead, they sign Siakam to a four-year, $130 million deal that, interestingly, per Michael Grange, there is language in it that it can go above the 25% threshold should Siakam make either first or second team NBA, or theoretically an MVP. Though if you won the MVP, you're going to be first team L nba And that is interesting because for the Raptors, that was a possibility they could have cap space. Instead, it functionally vaporizes $22 million in cap space. If you see it in conjunction with the Lowry extension, it turns them from a potential big cap team to a absolute non-cap team for the for the 2020 offseason now is that a big consequence probably not but a lot of the other ones that got signed they didn't have that same kind of a sacrifice even though my belief is that it isn't that big of a a sacrifice for these specific raptors
1: yeah toronto in theory could still get close to a max offer but that wouldn't include bringing back fred van vliet who has a 17 million dollar cap hold I think it's more likely that they would look to re-sign him than to get into the restricted free agent market. Remember, you can have the certainty of re-signing someone there, the restricted free agent market. You don't have that certainty unless you pay up the way the Pacers did to get Malcolm Brogdon with some draft picks. Also would depend on Stanley Johnson, whether he's going to opt in or not. Not off to a good start there, by the way. Nick Nurse had a quote saying that basically Rondé Hollis-Jefferson and Stanley Johnson are too worried about their offense and they're not going to get on the floor unless they defend first and then worry about their offense second although he kind of has to play one of those guys so that, that may be a little bit of an, an empty threat and uh if you want to learn more about the siakam extension which i i thought is a, a fair deal for both sides doesn't have the fifth year on it uh that'll let siakam get back onto the market one more time remember he said he, he's much older than some of these guys uh you could read a piece uh by one danny larue at the athletic theathletic.com slash cap space is your url to sign up with them, if you don't know who the Athletic is by now, I will tell you they are a subscription-based publisher of smarter sports coverage for die-hard fans. It's funny, I was actually talking to my uncle, who's a relatively casual fan of just sports in general, and the NBA. I was, I was back east for a wedding this weekend, and he was like, "Yeah, you know, I go to ESPN just for like score updates and stuff, but when I want to really get further in depth, I go to the Athletic. It, it's a great site." He didn't know that I was uh, associated with them at all uh, on this podcast. And I was like, yeah, it is. Like, we couldn't do our jobs without The Athletic. You couldn't read Danny without The Athletic. And they're expanding now into podcasts uh, as well. Ethan Strauss, who's kind enough to come on this pod last week, has his own podcast on The Athletic. They've got Sam Amick, David Aldridge. Zach Harper uh, among NBA and obviously their NFL and baseball coverage, if you're into that, it is excellent as well. So theathletic.com slash cap space is your URL to subscribe today. That'll get you 40% off a yearly subscription. So if you do that yearly subscription, it's only $2.99 a month at theathletic.com slash capspace, theathletic.com slash cap space. Don't forget that slash cap space URL to let them know that you came from us. Uh by the way Danny my my uncle had a pretty funny joke he like listened to the China podcast that that I did with Bill Bishop and and I was suggesting a place for us to have lunch and he's like hey as, as an NBA guy you're not gonna suggest a Chinese place which was uh I was a little di- like disturbing I and mean, obviously we all overweight anecdotally the people that we know but he's kind of you know your casual NBA fan he's really was has not liked the way the league has acquiesced to to china although i think they're standing up more to him recently and he didn't care for lebron's comments i think there's a lot of people that like him who may feel somewhat similarly so uh, we'll talk more about that in a second here um the one that i'm most interested in is actually not a rookie extension at all bradley beal two years 72 million dollars only one of those is guaranteed He has a player option on the last year he had two years left including this year he's going to add one on so he'll now be a free agent in the summer of 2022 assuming he declines that player option option that would also give him 10 years of experience so he could get out into the market and get a 35 percent max at that time he now cannot be traded for six months under the mellow rule which limits extend trade scenarios to only 5% raises and two or fewer years including the years remaining in the contract so he couldn't have extended at all under the Mello rule Kyle Lowry by contrast is eligible to be traded under the Mello rule because he only did one more year and did not get more than a 5% raise from his current salary so this takes Beal off of the trade market essentially this year I mean I think that's the biggest consequence of all this
2: it is and also it takes away the pressure for Beal to make an all-NBA team I'm, I'm guessing that was a weight on him last year and then remember the Wizards. Neither of us expects them to be very good this year, so there is not this huge financial incentive to finish on an All NBA team. And yeah, I mean Beal being untradeable until. Their season is over, so it is and and that's and that's an interesting point. Remember, this is a six-month trade restriction, and that that doesn't mean that he can't be traded until July. It just means that he can't be traded until six months. So there could be there yeah. could be a window around draft time, let's say, where B, where Beal could be traded. But more likely, if he were to be, and there isn't necessarily an expectation, this could be a circumstance where we've all kind of seen it going one direction. But remember, we only get a portion of the reporting, and maybe opinions change. And Tommy Shepard is now installed as the general manager. Maybe Beal feels a little bit different all sorts of different things could be the truth here
1: yeah i mean and great job here by washington Again, I wonder if maybe this China thing had something to do with it. This is not one that seemed like it would get done. And Beal supposedly really loves it in Washington, but you would think that he might want the optionality to potentially have gotten traded. I mean, this deal was on the table as soon as they could offer it to him back in July. I'm not sure what happened between now and July to change his opinion. That we've heard a lot of. Oh, Tommy Shepard really was trying to make him feel welcome and part of the process, and he just sort of wore him down. There wasn't one specific instance that caused this to happen, but kudos to Shepard and company and ted Leontis for getting this done and there's really to me very little risk for washington now at a minimum it increases his trade value and he might actually stay there long enough to see how things go next year presumably john wall will be back maybe they can make some other moves as well to get back into at least like pseudo playoff contention in the Eastern Conference next year. So it earns them some time, especially because he can't be traded. Maybe we'll be right back at this point if they have an awful year next summer. But you know, I I guess Beal, he does at least get the security of that player option to add two more years on. And he does have an injury history. I mean maybe this could blow up in Washington's face a little bit, but it seems overall to me a, a pretty clear win for them unless he gets hurt.
2: Yeah, I, I largely feel that way as well. And Beal, because of positional scarcity and- and the value that he showed being a being a league guy over the last couple of years, I think that it's, other than an injury, which of course can happen to anybody, the chances that the Wizards really suffer that way. Now, it is a possibility that the passage of time helps them less. Maybe, so this is the idea, maybe because the value he adds in this year when they're not gonna be good, and then the margin between the asking price that we saw, we saw with Paul George, and we saw with Anthony Davis, and maybe even if Beal is a lower tier, maybe the market wasn't the same for him, but that's the kind of way it could work out. But if he wants to stay and it's at a reasonable contract, I think that's I, I want to acknowledge the downside that they just won't get as much for him as they could have this past summer. But you're right that it's not as severe as some of these other extensions we're going to talk about.
1: Yeah, I mean, you could go back to obviously when the Clippers are trying to get a second star, some of these other trades that were made and we'll see if there is an eventual package. But. You know, Beal hedging his bets to get two more guaranteed years as of now. And he also has a 15% trade bonus, too. So if he gets traded, he'll get pretty close to what he could have made had he reached free agency and signed a new contract, at least on a per-year basis. And if it's not working out, he's still has the flexibility that he's not there for another three full years after this current contract would have expired five in total that's what he would have been eligible for washington also waiving jamario jones you remember he got a little bit more of his contract guaranteed coming over in that deal for the lakers they apparently were not that impressed by him in camp quickly in utah quinn snyder has agreed to a long-term contract extension good news for the jazz snyder uh, one of the best NBA in the nba he may appear in my predictions later this week And the Jazz also, oddly to me, exercised the team option for Tony Bradley on his fourth year. Now, it's not as odd because they're not going to have cap space next summer unless mike conley were to decline his or to exercise actually his eto i think he might be the only eto that's still left out there Uh, his eto for 34 million next year then they could be wanting to get into the cap space derby and bradley is slated to make 3.5 million next year so the chances of him being worth that to me are not high they already have ed davis and rudy gobert under contract as well i mean it's probably not going to come back to bite him in terms of the opportunity cost but bradley has showed so little maybe they're happy with what he saw in camp I, i can't say that i watched a ton of him In preseason, all right. Give me your next uh, sexy rookie extension you want to talk about here.
2: So I think there's the next thing is a collection of stories, but we'll we'll do them one at a time of extensions that I expected based on unusual circumstances. Them to the teams and the players to just let this game out over the course of the season, and instead, player and team came together and got a number. And I think the place to start there is Dejounte Murray. I just thought they would be too far apart. Instead, four years, sixty-four million dollars fully guaranteed, and... While DeJounte Murray is, is an interesting one because we don't know like if he theoretically had not torn his ACL last year, how things would have looked. There was all that buzz of, with him in training camp. But that is a lot of money to commit for a player who we still don't know exactly you know, like what where, his, where he's going to be. Like, health-wise, it looks like he's back. But also, his fit with the evolving Spurs roster, which is another one of these through lines we talked about a little bit with Brandon Ingram. But committing to DeJounte at this point means you're saying, in all likelihood, especially if this theoretically becomes a negative value contract he is a part of our team and we have to figure things out with him as one of the lenses one of the refraction points
1: yeah and we've noted that he's not the greatest fit with DeMar DeRozan he has been starting in the preseason probably going to start this year I think they're pleased with the progress that he's made from that ACL that happened about a year ago he had a really nice 20 point game against a Rockets team that was uh not trying defensively uh after their return from China but hit a couple of late clock threes in that game looked pretty good I think this one's about fair. I think I, I like this one the best for the team. Now, I think Murray, based on where he was at the end of his last season, this would value him a little bit too highly because I don't think he's a positive on offense, but they hope that he's going to make strides there. And defensively, he was at an all NBA level. One of the youngest players to ever make an all defensive team. Might have been the youngest actually before he got hurt. So he, he's a young player who has shown some promise remember he's one of the younger guys in the draft when he came out with that 29th pick as well they project him as a starter apparently they saw enough of him in camp to feel like they wanted to offer this and for murray coming off the injury i am again impressed with rich paul as i was with draymond green to get this extension done rather than waiting and seeing what you could get for big money to get life-changing money i think it also matters that murray as the 29th pick had made very little it's a lot easier to wait when you're the third pick like jalen brown you've already made over 20 million dollars in your career So uh, good job to both sides uh, for getting this one done. This one to me is one that actually has some upside for the team. I'm not sure that you can say that about some of these other ones that we're going to talk about soon.
2: That feels like a transition into DeMontis Sabonis. Sabonis gets four years, 75 is the base. Then some of the subsequent reporting from Woj, you know, could be 77, could go up to 85 incentives. We're going to have to use these kind of fuzzy numbers a little bit with some of these and I I continue to like Sabonis' game, but I do not like the fit of Sabonis and Miles Turner, both of whom are now well-paid. Turner's deal is a much better value to me than Sabonis's, And... Committing to these two players, it's one of those stories we've seen before. Well, now that's what the Pacers are, and I, I, I just think that they could have used this year. I mean, the chances that a Sabonis is, is that the fit is good, that Sabonis is great, and that he gets is worth significantly more money than this. That trio is absolutely possible, but not definitively like likely or anything like that.
1: Yeah now it, it all depends on how he and Turner fit together if that's a viable combination this isn't too bad if it's not a viable combination you know, if you're you're playing your your starting front court your 4 and your 5 less than a combined 40 million over the next few years not terrible right but if that combination really doesn't seem to work they can't close games with those two guys together they don't have enough shooting on the floor Nate McMillan can't find a way to use them together Sabonis really struggles moving his feet defensively at the four position although they did defend very well with those two on the floor last year as Dan Feldman (laughs) Uh, has been pointing out recently but i agree with you this seems like a a lot of money to me i think of sabonis as a very nice offensive center and a limited defensive center i don't believe that he can play the four i don't believe those guys are going to fit together amazingly well so i do worry about this one i mean i don't think this is one i mean the downside risk isn't too bad because sabonis doesn't really have an injury history he can at the very least be a productive player you know I kind of think of him as a you know a 10 to 12 million dollar a year player because I just don't see him as a starting center for a team going deep in the playoffs but you know some some of these guys especially in small markets get overpaid like his countryman Jonas Valanciunas is at 15 million a year this deal could be worth as much as 20 million per season we don't know exactly what the incentives are Woj had it at 77 with more incentives after that so this isn't terrible i think he wanted more i don't think they went crazy and remember we thought that the miles turner deal was an overpay and then he had a great year and we feel much better about that that looks like actually a pretty decent value contract now but again i I think there was too much uncertainty Uh, i agree with you here i probably would not have done this at this number you know i i to me my limit probably would have been more like 15 million a year and and even that i might have blanched at but you know we obviously have different evaluations of the players and there's also for young teams and small markets There can be a little bit of a storyline taking hold of, all right, we got to keep this guy, this exciting young team. We got all these guys locked up, blah, blah, blah. Um, And do you think he would have trade value on that contract if someone wanted to? It doesn't work out at Power Forward and someone wants to bring him in as a center? Keeping in mind, of course, that he can't be traded until the offseason now, essentially because of the base year compensation issues.
2: I... I I mean, there can always be a constituency, but so if you average this out and it won't be averaged, but it's about $18.8 million a year. That's a lot. I mean, that's more than Yusuf Nurkic got. That's more than a bunch of other players. And Sabonis could be better than, than those players. But we've talked about the threshold for centers being a lot higher. You have to be very, very good in order to justify a significant salary and to then be a positive trade value, which is a different conversation. So I would say he isn't for the average team and the other huge problem with centers and trade value is that The supply is just so high so maybe there is a team that's interested in Sabonis but are they interested in giving up anything of value for him when they could get somebody who is similarly good and so you need a you you know I I talk a lot of times about how restricted free agency which is what Sabonis is not doing now is about falling in love and so that's what the Pacers would need if they were to try to trade him for positive value is a team that says we like Sabonis significantly more than everybody else and that just seems unlikely to me
1: yeah and is Sabonis 12 million dollars a year third million dollars a year better than Ennis Cantor certainly I I think he defends better he passes better Cantor is probably a better rebounder I like Cantor a little bit better as a post player as well so but they're kind of similar types of players you know again if he just had a little more two-way ability I, I might be higher on this for reference by the way in our mock rookie extensions Feldman and I were not able to get there on him I was demanding Miles Turner's money at 4 for 72. Dan offered 4 for 66, so we weren't able to get there at the time. Jalen Brown originally reported at 4 for 115. Jay King then reporting that it's 4 for 103, an additional $4 million in likely incentives and another $8 million in unlikely incentives. So let's call this 4 for 106 that's a lot of money for Jalen Braun over 25 million a year wings are very very valuable I'm not quite sure that Braun has like star upside but I think he could be a quality defender his jump shots a little bit in question due to his bad free throw shooting I'm not sure he's as good of a shooter as he's shown over the course of, of his career but if you can shoot you can handle the ball a little bit you can score and you can defend it at a high level you're a pretty worthwhile player you know this is a little bit less than like Otto Porter got, you know, you could see at a minimum Braun not quite the same type of player, but being a little bit better defensively, a little better on the ball, not as good of a shooter. And, this is one where the Celtics might have been scared off by the potential of a restricted free agent offer sheet with teams always kind of needing wings, being willing to overpay for them. He, in theory, can guard some of the best wings on the other team. So this doesn't surprise me. I think the threat of an offer sheet for him was higher than for some of these other guys. But this is one where you say, again, is, what are the chances of this extension working out well into the team's favor? And then you also throw in that you really can't trade him this year as well. You know, I don't see that the Celtics got quite that much, uh, as someone who's liked the player st- most of his career, I don't think see the upside for the Celtics with this one. What do you think?
2: I agree with you. I'm lower on Brown than you are, broadly speaking. And I think a, a good way of thinking about this is, well, what would the theoretical offer been? In my Pascal Siakam piece for The Athletic, I talked about Gordon Hayward and the idea that Gordon Hayward ended up getting an offer sheet from the Charlotte Hornets, that was a four-year deal with a fourth-year player option. Now, because of the lower raises, but theoretically, let's say the 116 cap estimate, which maybe maybe the 116 million ends up being, it ends up being lower than that, which is notable. Jalen Brown could sign an offer sheet that would be four years, 124.7 million with somebody else. So that's not that far off of the numbers that you just talked about for him for this one, you know, for, let's say four for 107. I think that's a fair term. So is that margin plus plus? The prospect of a potential, you know, player option on the last year, but remember they could counter that the Celtics could by giving a max qualifying offer if he deserves it. Is that tight of a margin? Those potential modest savings. Should he be good enough to get that kind of an offer? Is that worth giving it up a year ahead of time? My answer is no. I I, even though there's a possibility that he gets there, positional value is, is certainly there. I brought this up before that Brown is a Marietta, Georgia native. He could potentially, depending on how the Hawks go, be a good fit with the Atlanta Hawks, but. That's not a certainty, and it's not a certainty that he would get that number. You still have match rights, which would have been, I mean, obviously totally sufficient to get him back. So, I don't, I don't necessarily see the incentive here. I've been, and, and with Brown, you, you get into this, Possibility, especially considering the acrimony of last year's team, though that was a lot of different things at the same point. Where if a guy's clearly worth a significant contract and doesn't get it, maybe it leads to some issues with the team and management and everything else. I didn't really, I don't really see that as being a huge thing in this case. So I'm, I'm not particularly enthused about this, this signing happening a year early at this price.
1: Yeah, and then also just not being able to trade him as well. And you know, I don't think it was going to be a situation this year with Hayward. They still got Marcus Smart, Jason Tatum had a nice preseason where he was going to just blow up, which is a, another thing too, where you're just, there's a lot of risk there. So maybe they, he's tradable in the summer, but I just, again, I don't quite see the upside. And if you're agreeing to an extension ahead of time, if you are taking on the performance risk as the team you'd like to have there to be a way that there's some upside i just don't i don't see how jalen brown is going to have the type of year to make that happen much as we have said that wings are are very valuable players interestingly felbin and i we're about 10 million dollars lower we had 92 million guaranteed with another 10 million or so in unlikely team-based team performance based incentives like getting to the finals or the conference finals uh worth noting by the way I think it was the nuggets who and Gary Harris who really started this trend of a lot of incentives now we don't really get to see exactly what those incentives are a lot of the times and, and be a part of that negotiation process but they reported it as four for 84 and ended up being more like four for 74. When that extension was done but that was the first one to really agree on these incentives which i think is a good thing you know that's a way to bridge the gap where both sides are protected right usually if you're a team you're like hey if we're this good or if you're this good if you come to the right incentives that really approximate what you're looking for in the player then yeah you're happy to pay him more and for the player it takes away the risk that you play way better and you're worth more and now you're locked into this lower contract so i think the incentives on these where you don't have an established level of performance for a lot of these young players and you're still projecting in the future they're a really good tool and also it lets the agent get his number which sad as it is to say is still part of this i at least it seems like woge in particular has started catching on a little bit more of just like, no, I'm not going to just take your number and then have that not turn out to be it. maybe Bobby Marks is in, is in his ear. Good for you, Bobby, if, if you're the one mentioning that, but so the agents aren't just like getting their number and then, Oh, it takes it's three days later. Now that it comes out that no, it's actually like only 90% of that is guaranteed. Anyway, that, that was a, a quick aside there. Um,
2: well, I think that's yeah. a natural lead into buddy healed and yeah, buddy healed agrees to a, a deal that is f- adds four years. We know that part. And then it, there's 86 million in guaranteed money, 8 million in what was referred to as exceedingly reachable bonuses. Let's call that likely bonuses. And then t- another 12 million in unlikely incentives that could make it so a maximum value of 106. So you're talking 86, 94, 106. And something else that's interesting is that it is a declining contract so it will have its maximum value in 20 slash 21 and then will decrease aaron gordon had a contract like this for those who remember i generally support this for smaller market teams especially because then the contract becomes more palatable moving forward you can do that especially if you have money to burn which it seems like sacramento does Uh, we have the details that some of the incentives are um, you know like making the all-star game making finals appearances and everything like that so I think this is an interesting trade. I've been lower, or interesting extension. I've been lower on heel, generally speaking, than most, though there is an intense value to shooting, and he is at a, at a, forefront of a topic that, like Bradley Beal, that I think is really compelling, which is there is intense value related to positional scarcity. However, I personally feel that the positional scarcity at the wing spots is more important than at the two because twos don't have as much versatility. They can't guard as many players. They can't do as many things. So unless you are a versatile player like Beal, I think can do more with the ball in his hands than buddy. So does that, my feeling is that positional scarcity matters a little bit less at the two and these kind of contracts show that show the scarcity a little bit more.
1: Yeah, you'd love to just have your two be a Clay Thompson size guy who or if Paul George is gonna play the two for the Clippers this year where he's got a lot more positional versatility when it's a one position defender and I think Buddy Healed falls pretty neatly into that category. They're, you're a little limited in terms of your upside as as far as being a great team if you don't have that versatility at the two. But his shooting is huge. I mean now as we have covered with an ample number of jokes from danny he will turn 27 we are pretty sure in december so this is his one chance i mean his age 28 season is when this extension kicks in so this is really his one chance to get paid maybe he could take another bit of a step forward this year in luke walton system if he gets uh, more playmaking from De'Aaron fox but just overall more threes being taken higher pace in the league generally he's he's at the forefront of those trends but you don't expect for him to get much beyond where he was last year. And in fact, I think there's even the chance of a possible regression because that was so far beyond the level that he had been at. And he's not young enough where it's like, oh yeah, we're clearly going to improve beyond this. It could be it was a little bit of a fluky season. He's always shot it well, but he added a lot last year. The fact that it's declining is good. Harrison Barnes, same structure. Now we'll turn to see what happens with Bogdan Bogdanovich. The Kings have offered him, according to reports, the most that they can 4 years 51 million i don't know if that includes a player option as i did in the mock off season that has been turned down at least to date but they also don't have the deadline since he's not a rookie skill contract he was a first rounder but he signed after waiting 3 years when they could offer him whatever they wanted to so uh, don't put that one to bed quite yet but especially now that heal has agreed he probably is going to want to start it is a position of scarcity he's better defensively and as an on ball guy maybe than healed is nowhere near as efficient So that'll be interesting. I mean, the last time we saw this was with two potential extension candidates at the same position, was Dermotis Maniunis and Terrence Jones. Both those guys turned guys turned on deals that in retrospect they both should have absolutely absolutely taken i don't think either of them has made even one quarter of what was on the table for them at that time i think Hield and bogdanovich are better than those guys are the game is not moving away from them the way it was for jones and muddy units but it's always interesting when you have two guys at the same position coming up for extensions and or restricted free agency at the same time Should we get this uh, Torian Prince one here that just came down?
2: Yeah, I was originally, I was thinking that we could do this as a live reaction one, but then we had more important fish to fry, so we we started there. Torian Prince... Two years, $29 million with the Brooklyn Nets. Remember that Sean Marks traded for Torian Prince as a part of the Allen Crabb salary dump. The way that we've kind of interpreted that trade is that they gave up a late first rounder for Prince in addition to everything else that happened in that deal. And for me, this is another one kind of like Jalen Brown where there is absolutely a chance that it works out, but I'm surprised that they didn't want to see it first. Prince is going to have an opportunity to play a lot. Kevin Durant is out for the, out for ostensibly the year. Wilson Chandler out for a while with that PED suspension. But Torian Prince hasn't been a good defensive player throughout his career. His, his offense has been, you know, pretty good for his role. I, th- I think he's, he's been better there. I think I might have underappreciated that at elements of his Hawks tenure, but it's how much does that impact winning basketball? All those sorts of things are open questions. So. Giving him about 15 million a year, not sight unseen, but sight less seen, is a little bit aggressive, especially considering in this case, and I think this is why I I think this is a mistake. Again, the Nets had bird rights. Like, they could have done this, and remember that also the biggest fish in the free agent pond is the Atlanta Hawks, who probably aren't going to give Torian Prince a big offer considering they just traded him.
1: I like this one, actually. I mean, this this is the first, and it's because of the years. Okay. This is the first extension that I believe there's ever been for less than three years as a rookie extension. Now, Justice Winslow has that team option in the third year. That's the only other one that I can remember. But I think Winslow and Kelly Oubre in particular were analog to this. Recall Kelly Oubre, two years, $30 as a restricted free agent, drafted right about the same range in 2015 as Prince was in 2016. Somewhat similar production, if not similar games, where Guys with defensive tools haven't put it together yet. On that end, but uh, have shown some offensive flash prints, in particular his shooting. uh They've supposedly raved about his shooting in camp. Kenny Atkinson has the familiarity with him going back to his rookie year in Atlanta when Atkinson believed he defended better. And he's going to start for them at the four for quite some time here. That could have potentially boosted his value. He's an important part of what they're doing, but there's almost no opportunity cost here. And there could have been opportunity cost if you wait and then you need to sign him to a three or four year deal. And here's why he's under contract for this year then this adds 15 million a year they weren't going to have cap space in those two years either presumably they're going to be willing to pay some tax for this group their only free agents now are joe harris and possibly garrett temple if he opts out of a player option and then kyrie irving and kevin durant can opt out after the 21-22 season that is when prince will expire as well Spencer Dinwiddie also his contract uh, will have expired by then DeAndre Jordan would only have one more year so there could be a chance for an organizational reset around Irving and Durant at that time or maybe those guys will move on and they got to totally rebuild so I I actually think this is fine you're getting a guy who has some upside who is going to be starting for you who's still pretty young they like what he did offensively might be a little overpaid here but i think if you overpaid to get the years to be shorter there's really very little downside here i mean really you're only at most you're costing yourself maybe the ability to use the full mid-level next year instead of the mini mid-level but you're probably even then if you're going to bring back joe harris you probably wouldn't have been able to use the full mid-level in any event so i think the opportunity cost is low relatively low risk it expires at the time that some of these other guys expire and he still is a, a player with some upside. Yeah, he's going to have to really improve defensively, but he's shot it pretty well. He's got some size. He's on the wing. I'm totally good with this uh, for the Nets.
2: It is true that I mean, assuming ownership is willing to just pay the tax, that the the, the opportunity cost isn't isn't that high here, and it, you do get into. I mean, that's part of the reason why ownership is such a big competitive advantage, the biggest in certain people's opinions, is that because you can deal with that. There are certain teams that this extension, if it ends up be going poorly for them, especially because the Nets still have, would have a need at forward, a pretty deep one, that it could be really punishing. You know, this could the kind of like the Will Barton deal might end up being for the Denver Nuggets and a few of these other ones. And so I, I I wanted to mention that as a, as a consideration here, we have, as we're recording this, we have actually just crossed the, the 6 PM Eastern threshold. I thought this would be an interesting exercise. I was thinking about going through the, because there are so few of them, the players who have had, who are playing, who are going to play their fourth year on the rookie scale. So no option years were declined and did not sign an extension. Do you want to go through that?
1: Yeah, this is really interesting. Headlining that is Brandon Ingram. With New Orleans, we talked about him pretty extensively. That was just tough to get a deal done. We mentioned I think he's going to be in a little bit better position with the Zion in injury. Jakub Pertl with the
2: Spurs. Chris Dunn with the Bulls. Yeah. Thon Maker with the, with the Pistons. Yeah. Denzel Valentine with the Bulls. Wancho, okay. Aaron, Aaron Gomez, and Malik Beasley with the Nuggets. The others yeah. reporting that the Nuggets were very aggressive going after both of them, which is not a surprise considering the Nuggets are very aggressive at trying to sign their own free agents all the time.
1: Um, yeah quick, quickly on those, there was a report that it was three years 30 million was their offer to Beasley that he turned down I don't know what the heck they were offering to Wancho I, I'd be very curious to find that out and, and did point. their offer but,
2: come with a promise that they would actually play him
1: probably not considering that they have like a billion
2: fours uh, on the roster uh who else DeAndre Bembry with the Hawks Ante Zizic with the Cavaliers well Z-
1: Zizic actually remember he waited oh
2: he's a year later Mario. that's right yeah, but he, uh, uh, Scout, he doesn't my appear m- to be in
1: their plans. This my, year.
2: my my boy, you know, Scout you know, Lepicier yeah. with the Portland Trailblazers and Damian Jones with the Atlanta Hawks. Something that's also notable about that list is how many of those players have changed teams.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's that's interesting. And a lot of times when those guys change teams, it's either because that team is really interested in them or because they have disappointed it in one way or another and realistically out of that group i think the only ones that probably could have potentially gotten done that the team would have seriously considered it were ingram pertle beasley and hernan gomez uh, do you see any other ones where if you were the team you would have even really wanted to engage
2: i mean the blazers should have given Scal the max but that's a separate point
1: <laughs> yes a, a, a very separate point uh any of these that it surprised you didn't get done
2: I'm a little bit surprised that DeJounte Murray got done and Purtle didn't because yeah. Purtle's the more established commodity, at least in terms of the Spurs, because he played on their team last year.
1: But Well, I don't yeah, know about but, that. I, th- I think Murray is more established. Like, Purtle is kind of, you know... It, I
2: mean, he's established. Whether or not you think that is actually good or not is a different question. But, I mean, I think they know what he is more than they know what Murray is. That's what I was getting at.
1: Yeah. Uh, but Murray, it seems like, has been a key part of their plans for the last two years already. That's true. But yeah, this is surprising. More deals got done here than we saw in our mock rookie extensions.
2: This is also just now such an unbelievably terrible free agent class.
1: Oh, you know, the other one, uh, Dario Saric. We, we haven't heard a single thing about him, huh?
2: Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, I, I, again, yeah. he wasn't in the, he wasn't in that draft class, so I kind of forget about it, just like I'll forget about Zizic next year.
1: Well, and it's hilarious because Woj tweeted out, the summer class of restricted free agents includes blank, 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 and blank, and then clearly got a text from Bogdan Bogdanovich's agent, and he did another quote tweet of, oh, also includes Sacramento's Bogdan Bogdanovich. But I'm surprised, like, Damian Jones is on that list? And is Sharich isn't. I mean, I guess. Especially
2: considering Sharich was explicitly traded for this offseason.
1: Yeah. Yeah. We haven't heard a single peep about that. Weird. Yeah, we uh, we so didn't hear we, any of the belly aching in the media about whether you know like with Buddy Hield and Savonis spot out, you know they they better extend me, blah blah.
2: Uh, so something I want to run through quickly. We don't have all of them yet because it's not the same decision deadline as everybody everything else. But we have gotten a few of the option decisions, and the way that works for rookie scale contracts is these are not options for the upcoming season; they are options for next year for twenty twenty slash twenty one. And we're only going to talk about this if it's notable, and that light, light largely means it's declined or it's a player who we thought it might not be accepted, and it was, like Tony Bradley. Chandler Hutchison got his third year picked up. He, he's he been dealing with a strained hamstring. Obviously, that's a short-term injury. You're thinking a year down the road with him. Yeah.
1: Well, not that short-term. I mean, He injured it in August, and then that's true. it sounded like there was a re-injury in a report from Shams. Uh, So he's not even, there's hope uh, that he could be right, but this is, we're going on over two months now with this. So this actually looks like it could be a a severe one for him. And, and he obviously has struggled in his career so far as well. He's an older rookie, uh, as, uh, Matt Bernhardt and I talked about, uh, on Thursday, um,
2: uh, Frank Nokina's fifth or his fourth year option was picked up by the Knicks that's worth 6.3 million that's more of i mean he's to me that's an option that you should pick up because then you get restricted rights after it but considering his uncertain role on the Knicks that is is notable yeah and, qu-
1: quickly on him that's sure. another one where i think it's just about the lack of opportunity cost where i think they're probably planning more on the 2021 off season as so many teams are the next year especially especially now too and one of the things with all these extensions agreed to 2020 free agency sucks more than it ever has before and it is it really sucked even before this uh but yeah i think that's one where either that and the fact that he scored 11 points against team usa like that's that that just earned him 6.2 million dollars
2: and then the other one that's that's notable chris harrington said today, I mean, the, it hasn't, I don't think it's been officially done yet, but that the Grizzlies are not going to pick up Josh Jackson's fourth year. Remember that he was acquired by the Grizzlies as part of that salary dump where the Suns added cleared enough money so that they could sign their players to their contracts but they gave up at least one possibly two first round picks or second round picks sorry yeah quite and, and right. Anthony Olympics. Melton uh, as and well Anthony that, Melton right? swapping with Javon and all that but uh Josh Jackson was a part of that and we we thought it was just an interesting kind of gamble and Josh Jackson depending on if he's actually going to make their roster which is now an interesting question I've had the stance for a long time if you decline one of these options you should be ready to cut the player but Josh Jackson's option amount was so high that theoretically if you want to keep him on the roster and things go well, you could re-sign him. There was a similar thing with Mario Hazonia in the Orlando Magic. He ended up not re-signing there, but it is a possibility, like it happened with Fergon Korkmaz, actually.
1: Yeah, uh, but that, that'll be interesting. I mean, that was kind of fate completely that they weren't going to pick him up. We mentioned Tony Bradley oh, but, already. Any, any other
2: well, the other thing I want to mention—it's not a declined option—but in Memphis, the other important piece of news: they waived Ivan Rabb, fully guaranteed for this year. Not super impressive to me, but they waived Miles Plumley, and this is important because of this idea that remember the Miles Plumley and Solomon Hill for Chandler Parsons trade—that now the Grizzlies cannot use Pars- cannot use uh Miles Plumley's money as salary filler in a trade. They still have plenty of salary filler with Andre Guadalla and Solomon Hill and all of these other things, but it was Josh this, Jackson. Like, too. Josh Jackson. Yeah. And it was this idea that was basically like what size of salary filler do you want and so we'll see if atlanta with chandler parsons or memphis with their kind of patchwork quilt of different guys if either one of those works out particularly better than the other
1: well it, the money was almost exactly the same so we can already say that memphis lost that trade because they had to move on from Plumlee to well except that well, solomon
2: hill is better than chandler parsons in my opinion uh, yeah
1: maybe I, I guess the other thing you could say too is that if they they still have would i guess the question is would you rather have one 12 million dollar piece of salary fodder or one 24 million dollar piece of salary fodder maybe the 12 million dollar piece is actually more valuable so and, and you can still aggregate jackson on uh, to get up to pretty close the amount that you could have with Parsons. so so i, I take that back maybe they haven't lost it yet but the idea kind of was that we could you could break those up into two separate trades in theory but maybe parsons are just too big to be a part of a trade whereas hill wouldn't be so uh and at least good enough that they there are enough guys that impressed in camp that they were willing to just move on from plumley and but part of the reason for the trade was that you could break those up into two guys but and have the ability maybe to do two separate deals but it just it doesn't seem like that's happening either you know there's just with the 2020 free agency being bad doesn't seem like anybody's going to try and clear space for next summer at all the construction of a trade might have been taking on bad contracts that go beyond 2020 to open up space for somebody else doesn't look like that type of trade is going to be out there so i mean this is absolutely what i would have done but it's just interesting that maybe some of the reason for making that trade in the first place just didn't end up coming to fruition i not a disaster either way and we probably spent too much time talking about it so uh what else we got here
2: on the roster front? There are a couple different things. The Warriors waived Alfonso McKinney to keep Marquise Chris, who has impressed during training camp. It is a un- kind of an interesting situation that is made more fraught by the Warriors hard cap situation because Chris is important in this time right now where Willie Colley-Stein has been out with a, with a foot injury and then Kevon Looney has missed the preseason with an Achilles or sorry not an Achilles, a hamstring issue but we'll see if he can actually play and so the Warriors do have this pressing need at, at the big man spots right now but that need will ideally not go will, not, will go away at some point whereas their horrendous lack of wings is going to persist so this could end up being, I mean if Chris ends up doing well and can be a part of the rotation then certainly it's a that rotation players are better than not, but committing basically kind of in, in a way to him right now could be a problem.
1: Yeah. Now he's still non-guaranteed. They have some more flexibility as well. Albert Namad noted that they might be able to Sign two buyout guys if they play the go down to thirteen players for two weeks game. Although doesn't help because they're actually going to need some of these guys to play. It being at thirteen could actually really hurt their competitiveness on the on the floor. Uh, the aforementioned McKinney was actually picked up by Cleveland. I think that's they've got not much on the wing there. I don't know if McKinney can help them too much defensively, but he's at least a, an athletic body on the wing that they can take a, a little bit of a look at. And his contract remains not guaranteed. Also, as a fourteenth guy, he makes a little bit less. Then the two year minimum of 1.6 million that it would have cost to sign somebody else. Uh, when you look at the tax number, he was only at 1.8 million, or, or I'm sorry, yeah, you know, 1.58 million, I should say. So, so you, get, you get about 30 grand more in breathing room below the tax there for a team that will not be paying it. And uh, Ante Zizic is going to miss at least four weeks with plantar fasciitis in his left foot. He, Zizic uh, hasn't really worked out so far. You Actually, you thought he might be able to be something as part of that Isaiah Thomas trade and really uh, hasn't been able to uh, defend at an NBA level. Got more to get to here, including uh, the latest China developments and how that could affect the league's finances. But first, this from Lightstream. If high interest credit card bills are adding to your stress, take a look at a credit card consolidation loan from our sponsor Lightstream. You can get a rate as low as 5.95% APR with autopay. That is a lot less than those high interest credit cards. Pay off your credit card balances and save money with that credit card consolidation loan from Lightstream. Your rate is fixed, so as rates continue to rise your low rate won't budge they have an easy online application you can apply right from your phone you can even get your money as soon as the day you apply and stop being beholden to those crazy high interest credit card rates and my listeners can now apply for a special interest rate discount the only way to get this discount is to go to lightstream.com slash cap space l-i-g-h-t-s-t-r-e-a-m lightstream.com slash Subject to credit approval, rate includes 0.50% auto-pay discount. Terms and conditions apply and offers are subject to change without notice. Visit lightstream.com slash capspace. And don't forget that slash capspace URL to let them know that you came from us. Roster news out of Detroit. Christian Wood has made the NBA roster. Joe Johnson has been cut. He was experiencing some swelling on his Achilles according to Chris Haynes. He had a $220,000 partial guarantee that Detroit will pay. They still have about 1.5 million or so below the tax line. But good to see Christian Wood makes the team. He had a nice preseason. He's always put up the counting stats. He may be uh, their best option at backup center, especially for a team that's going to be offensively challenged. What else we got here?
2: An impactful injury that came down the wire that uh, over the last couple days is—I mean—we got the severity more was Gerald Green. Gerald Green, an important part of the Rockets' rotation over the last couple of years, suffered a liz Frank fracture in his left foot and. It sounds like he's gonna miss the whole season with surgery. We don't know that a hundred percent yet, but it's really sounding like that direction. And that's tough for the Rockets. I mean, we've talked about how depth is an important question for them, and now they're gonna have to figure out somebody else. And again, as I talked about with Zion at the very top of this podcast, part of the consequence of injuries is that you have to see, you know, if other injuries happen, then it becomes a bigger thing, and that could happen with the Rockets either for a small patch of games or hopefully not a larger patch of games.
1: Yeah, and we could see them again try to move on from green as as they did with carmelo anthony last year by just paying cash to get off of him to as they'll probably do with Nene as well now that his trade number was reduced by the league uh, on that crazy contract that they signed so tillman's Fortuna's cash will probably be busy but it'll be worth it for them to open up more room below the tax In Milwaukee, Eric Bledsoe suffering a strained oblique, and they are hopeful that he will be available for the season opener, according to Eric Woodyard, who's the newly minted ESPN Midwest reporter. Still unclear if he's going to be able to play there. Oklahoma City, Andre Robertson, really sad here, has not played at all in preseason. At last blush, Billy Donovan did not say whether he would be ready for the opener, But he was, in fact, able to get through some contact work at Monday's practice. This is the latest update that just came down here. He's a game-time decision for Wednesday's opener against Utah. Very interested to see whether he plays. I mean, this was especially kind of the way OKC will report these injuries. I was worried that he might have had a setback and could be moving towards not playing. But that's encouraging news uh, that he at least appears to be on the path although you'd imagine that you know given how long ago all these surgeries were the fact that he hasn't just been totally full go during the preseason is concerning and he must be getting some kind of swelling or soreness in that knee to where at a minimum they're going to have to manage it throughout the season and then of course it remains to be seen whether he can be effective if indeed he can get onto the court and in dallas dwight powell is supposedly progressing but he's not going to play with that hamstring train hasn't played or practiced since October 5th he's not going to play on Wednesday and kind of sounding like he could miss the first week or so of the season so you'd imagine uh, Maxi Kleba will play more though he's been another guy who hasn't necessarily been able to play the big minutes either so and
2: Boban Marjanovic could too
1: yeah so looking like Porzingis maybe will be at least the defensive five which I like it to start the year and finally the Clippers Paul George is to miss at least the first 10 games coming off of that shoulder surgery he's been shooting around he's been even playing a little bit of one-on-one I mean the the big issue there is just taking contact as you as you're trying to fight around for a rebound or bring the ball up and you get it stripped out of your hands how does that affect your shoulders so i think they're being exceedingly cautious there i'm sure he feels pretty good as as of this point at least doing non-contact stuff and then roddy magruder unsure whether he'll be available tomorrow night against lakers he obviously matters some with paul george out but his high right ankle sprain that he suffered early in camp generally the timetable is a little bit longer than that so if i had to guess he's not going to play but Uh, that's not based on anything other than just the normal timetable for these sorts of injuries so new developments now in the nba china saga we last came to ethan and i on tuesday talking about lebron james comments to the media on monday and part of the reason why i thought that lebron did clarify those comments and that that was needed that he wasn't necessarily anti-hong kong and he was talking about the consequences of maury's tweet not necessarily the substance of whether the hong kong protests are to be supported or not but the problem is now LeBron, despite those clarifications, is being held up as being anti-Hong Kong protests in Chinese propaganda. The Global Times, which uh as Bill Bishop talked about on Monday, is one of these arms for the Chinese to try to control some of the conversation in English. 1.6 million followers in that Global Times Twitter account. Twitter banned in China, by the way, in case you were wondering. But the Global Times had a whole post about how hey Le- lebron was really supporting the chinese position and you know daryl Morey was uninformed and he's being held up as like so lebron is supposedly staying out of it but when you say things in that way and i don't know whether this is intentional or not i don't think it was but when you say things in that way now you are susceptible to having the narrative and propaganda use you as a reason for why what they're doing is right and and that's that definitely is a big part of why I, I had a major problem with uh what lebron did meanwhile adam silver in comments at the time 100 health summit on thursday revealed that he was asked to fire dale Mori. his quote we said there's no chance that's happening there's no chance we'll even discipline him and with regard to the nba's uh, initial comments not the way statement but just his own comments that he said he was supporting free expression, but maybe I was trying too hard to be a diplomat. So it does seem like Silver certainly has moved more in the direction of supporting free speech and anti Chinese position. China then turned about and said that no, we didn't actually ask for him to be fired. I'm going to go ahead and believe Adam Silver on this one maybe there's some plausible deniability that oh we merely implied that we wanted him fired or no it wasn't an official government person who said it but you know a representative of like the state tv who said they wouldn't put the games on unless he was fired or something like that but certainly it's in the chinese interest to not make it appear as if they asked for him to be fired and silver said no because they want to maintain their influence over all these other companies So they don't want to make it look like, oh, maybe the dam has burst and now American companies are not going to just do whatever the Chinese want. Bill talked about a number of other instances in which this has occurred. Of course, the hilarity of it to me is well if what Daryl Morey did was so bad what's wrong with having it out there that you wanted him fired right oh wait it could it be that that's a crazy overreaction to ask for him to be fired and that's why you don't want it out there so it does seem though then the Chinese responding that the silver would face retribution I mean that sounds pretty ominous doesn't it
2: yeah it, it does and I mean you've you've done a a great job I'm so happy that especially that you had Bill on going through this and I've you know the main reason that I have haven't talked about it that much is not because I don't have opinions or anything like that. It's that I'm, I'm not super knowledgeable, but I will. I'll say a little piece on it, which is you know I come at this from a background of with econ and politics and something going back to when I did consulting and politics that I would talk about. I'll use the context of do you want somebody's money and do you want their endorsement and the advice that I would give to people when they listen to me was know what your lines are and know what your thresholds are so if if you think that entity x whether it's a person or what a company or whatever it is if if you think that they that that's you know that you, you don't want what they're whatever it is that they stand for whether that's you know could be human rights it could be free speech, or any number of different things. And I think what, what capitalism can do in these circumstances is it, it's not about creating strange bedfellows, it's about creating awkward ones. And what the NBA is learning is what a lot of these companies are is that these are conversations they should have had a long time ago because the behavior that has happened, as you talked about very well with Bill, it, it's not particularly new. And so as a as a company, as a as an as an entity, as a product, you need to just make a decision about where you are and where you want to go. And it feels to me like the NBA just kind of avoided that conversation and then it came to them and that, that's part of and as you talked about the also the time delays and people being out of their normal locations led to some of the challenges.
1: Well, and it does seem that silver is moving further towards drawing a line in the sand as of now we don't know whether the games are going to be on chinese tv they've shown a couple of preseason games but this actually these comments it seemed like they might be moving towards an uneasy detente bill bishop had this in his newsletter today he said it seemed like adam silver was doing a good job of threading the needle needle and then with these comments he stuck the needle in the chinese eye (laughs) and uh now I mean, if they asked for him to be fired, I mean, that happened. I got no problem with that being public. But just from if your standpoint is, hey, let's just preserve the business. Let's try to walk the line between not pissing everyone off domestically and not pissing off the Chinese. These comments at most seem unnecessary, you know, or or at least seem unnecessary to me from a business standpoint, which, you know, it kind of makes me feel good from a moral standpoint. But if you're just looking at it as the strategy of like, how are we going to keep our money? There wasn't a necessity to say this. And maybe Adam just kind of lost message discipline to steal a, a political term you're no doubt familiar with. And maybe he just personally is kind of sick of this shit. And and I mean, he seemed very strident with the tone of those comments. But I'm fascinated to see where it goes from here and whether these games are going to be on as the regular season starts tomorrow night. Meanwhile, Ethan talked about this a lot too. And there's been more reporting now that LeBron lost a million dollar appearance fee in china as a result of this and um, that he's angry at daryl more and i think part of his reasoning is well he sees himself you know in addition to the personal financial consequences with for both him and and nike he also sees himself as trying to safeguard the interests of the players with the players association as a leader there and so he sees uh, all the players as kind of gotten having gotten screwed over here and so that he maybe thinks he's being altruistic and trying to step up and defend the players but with his comments uh, about Maury and everyone being mad at mori you know i realized that mori could have done it in a more considerate way for everyone's personal finances here but maybe put five percent of your anger on daryl and 95 percent at the chinese for just canceling a contract with you for a million dollars because some guy tweeted something that's not you you know and it's not related to you like you're do it, you decided to do business in a country where they apparently just don't have to honor these contracts. And so maybe you should be mad at them and mad at yourself for relying on that money. And this goes for the whole NBA, really, not just LeBron, where they can just cancel the contract at any time instead of getting mad at at Daryl Morey for breathing out a little too heavily and blowing over your house of cards. So now I guess we can turn to the issue of the league finances. I think it wouldn't shock me, as I said earlier, that maybe part of the reason that some of these extension negotiations have accelerated was Everyone wanting some certainty with uh, perhaps a cap reduction coming. I don't know where exactly the 15% number came from as far, but that's the number that's been bandied about. So we can go with that of the amount of revenue that comes from China, but that you eventually would see that reflected in the salary cap over the next couple of seasons. If there is, in fact, you know, that's kind of your, your maximum damage that could happen and then for the houston rockets in particular especially for an already cash poor owner it seems like they could really be affected here as well with some of the reporting that's come out
2: yeah i mean it's a lot it's a lot to think it's a lot to think about and and another it's another reminder to me of how you know i guess you could call this a shortcoming in my own analysis but it's it's also incredibly hard because so much of the information is not public that the bri part of all of this is is you know sometimes a weak point and and i don't I don't know exactly how that pie is made, much less, you know, like each, each individual piece and everything like that. So, it, you know, it can be good to kind of get a better understanding of here's how much money the league makes each place. And this kind of gets at some the ideas that, that Ethan wrote about a little bit about, you know, international international income versus domestic and all that kind of stuff. It is it is a fascinating business. And it in the NBA, because of the way the collective bargaining is structured, this has a material impact on players, on teams, and on the product on the floor.
1: And when you look at some of the reporting that's come out of here, Number one, and this is before the China thing, but John Hollinger reported that Houston actually reworked Russell Westbrook's contracts... To be more cash flow friendly. Again, this is one of the hallmarks of a team that, uh, you know, is kind of living hand to mouth. Uh, what you can do is you can have half of your salary be paid as of October 1st in a lump sum. That's what a lot of the star players do when you have the leverage. Remember, he signed those deals with OKC and they were happy to do that. Interesting that poor small market OKC was happy to do that. And, uh, big market Houston now wasn't able to do it. And so they've reduced that upfront payment by 50%. And they're just going to pay that out in regular solos over the course of each season. So that's that's an indication of where this was starting. But then Mark Stein said that the Rockets could lose as much as $25 million in sponsorships from Chinese sponsors after Gerald Murray's tweet. Now, that is going to get at any team's bottom line, but especially one where it seemed like they're very cash flow dependent to even pay the bill. So who knows what will happen here? But it gives you a thought that if things don't go exactly according to plan in Houston this year, there could be a, a big shakeup coming if they don't end up recouping that revenue. And certainly they're not going to if the Rockets aren't on Chinese TV, which uh, you know uh it looks like they in particular could be at risk of that. So yeah, anything else to yeah. talk about here before we go? Or you want you want to react to that? Sorry.
2: Uh, I don't necessarily need to react to that. It'll be, I mean, we're just going to have to keep an eye on it. Uh, I will have another piece on the extension madness of today coming out at The Athletic at some point in the near term. I have a couple other interesting things in the works as well. And at some point in the near term, the actual launch of my 30-piece preseason preview series. So that'll be really fun. That was done to coincide with the season as opposed to in prior years where it was a preseason thing for a variety of reasons. So you can keep an eye on all of, on all of that. And you can also listen to the Real Gym Radio that I did with Jay e. Skeets, also of The Athletic now, which is pretty cool with the No Dogs podcast. I thought it was fun. We talked about how kind of the structure of putting a podcast together, which isn't something we don't usually get that meta. Sometimes you and I do on the Patreon podcast, but I thought it was fun to go through that with somebody who we've never coordinated on that at all because we've never like worked together. And so it was fun to talk about, you know, the structure of how we do our lives.
1: Yeah, I'm interested to hear that as well. And I, of course, can do that because I am an Athletic subscriber, and so should you be, TheAthletic.com slash CapsFace. Thanks again to them for supporting our program and sponsoring us. You can subscribe today, enjoy smarter sports coverage with no ads, no pop-ups, no autoplaying videos. They provide smarter analysis and a deeper perspective about teams and leagues, and you can get 40% off a yearly subscription at TheAthletic.com slash Capspace. $2.99 a month on that yearly subscription. Once again, TheAthletic.com slash Capspace. Don't forget that slash Capspace URL to let them know that you came from us. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe
0: that every sport should be epic. Every basket, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a three-point at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two for two at the foul line. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply.